Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Farside Chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. Today's episode features a live conversation between five changemakers and storytellers from across the travel industry. And it was hosted during Climate Week 2023 in New York City. Five voices came together to discuss the influence and impact that travelers can have when using their voice and agency to catalyze positive change within the travel industry, and indeed take themselves from travelers to change makers. The conversation was hosted by expert travel writer and author Jessica Nabongo, and features a discussion with the CEO and co-founder of Regenerative Travel, Amanda Ho, the Vice President of Sustainability for Virtuoso, Javier Arredondo, the Executive Director of the Bhutan Foundation, Tsewang Wangchok, and sustainable travel pioneer and author, Costas Christ. It was a fantastic, engaging, and informative discussion with audience questions being answered at the end. As travelers, we each have a voice, and this is our time to learn how to use it. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed the discussion. So good evening. I'm Nicole Robinson. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for um, and Beyond, and it was with much excitement that I welcome you to this evening's panel discussion. Um, in case this is your first interaction with Ambion, we were established 32 years ago with a vision to leave our world a better place through the delivery of extraordinary travel experiences and our care of the land, wildlife and, and people. Um, we are bespoke tour operators for Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia and South America, and we own and operate 29 lodges um, across three continents. Um, it is through our impact model that we are able to positively impact 75 communities and directly conserve our primary footprint of 1 million um, acres. So we are very, very passionate about travel as a force for good. We have also seen that over the past 30 years of our existence, despite our impact celebrations and learnings, we are still on the losing team. Over the same amount of time, the world's population has grown by 44%, and we have lost another 10% of our um, wild spaces. Our 2030 vision is to scale our impact through partnership, and it, was, it is with that intent that we look for others who are just as passionate about ensuring travel as a force for good. So thank you to Bhutan Tourism and Beyond Green for joining us in hosting tonight's purposeful discussion. Our discussion tonight is one that is personal for our moderator, Jessica Nabongo. Jessica's story inspired me as I learned about how she traveled to every country in the world. She joins an, an exclusive club of just less than 300 people. In fact, more people have traveled to outer space than to all 195 countries on our planet. It is through our travels, that, through her travels, that she has developed a deep passion for using her own voice and agency to affect change. She is a compelling storyteller, committed to reducing bias and encouraging travelers to really connect with the destinations they visit. She believes it is through authentic human connection that we can shift how people see the world and what they care for. She has captured stories from a hundred of the countries she visited in, the, in her beautiful book, Catch Me If You Can. Um, you have a copy to enjoy in your gift bags. So now over to Jessica, who will introduce our highly respected panelists. Have fun, looking forward to this conversation. So as you all know, it is UNGA. You know because of the disgusting traffic going on in the city right now, it's also UN Climate Week. So I'm so excited to be working with Ambion on this. We've been working on this for a long time um, to put this panel together. I started working with Ambion earlier this year. I had the distinct pleasure of traveling to Botswana, to the Okavanga Delta with them, as well as Mozambique. 
If you have not traveled with Ambient before, I highly recommend it. It was just an absolutely incredible experience. Um, I was down there, I think, for like close to two weeks. Absolutely phenomenal. I love luxury, but more than luxury, <laughs> I love sustainability. So this conversation is really important for me because I think like many of you here, I love to travel. Uh, and so it's about trying to figure out how can we be travelers, but also change makers. And so how can we work to impact the world positively through our travels? So this beautiful panel that I have here with me today is going to be in conversation to help figure that out. So when we all leave here, we can figure out what we can do today, what we can do tomorrow to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. So let's dive in. I'm going to introduce all of them and then we will jump in. So first we have Costas. He is one of the world's top sustainable tourism experts. Costas served as National Geographic Senior Advisor for Sustainability. He helped to establish the UN Global Sustainable Tourism Criteria, and he's the author of Tourism and Biodiversity, Mapping Tourism's Global Footprint. So please give it up for Coastal. <laughs> Next we have Javier. Javier has more than two decades experience in the travel and media industries. He is currently Vice President of Sustainability at Virtuoso, after almost two years as general manager for Latin America in the Caribbean. Prior to joining Virtuoso, he founded and ran Travesias Media. <laughs> My Spanish is not great. For 20 years up until 2021. So give it up for Javier. Amanda is a Chinese-American, New York-based brand strategist, travel expert, community builder, and change maker committed to help the travel, tourism, and hospitality sector become a force for regeneration and healing. And lastly, we have Sewang. He's the executive director of the Bhutan Foundation. Sewang is also the first National Geographic Explorer from Bhutan, one of my favorite countries in the world, a member of the Explorers Club, and he serves on the board of the Snow Leopard Conservancy. Yeah. All right. So, sorry. Let's get into it. So first, I want to start with a very big question, and I hope you have a simple answer for us. How can we balance travel and climate action? So we'll start here with Costas and we'll move over. Well, one answer is not to stop traveling. I love that. And <laughs> she wants us to keep our answers short. So I'll just give you a quick one. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Serengeti, which you all have heard of, is over 7,000 square miles of an ecosystem, okay? The Serengeti grassland is a massive sequester of carbon. The only reason the Serengeti has not been turned into cattle ranches at this point is because people show up from around the world mm. to pay to go there and see this incredible spectacle, which is home to the great land migration. Mm. So that's just one example. The second part of your question has to do with the importance of pressuring the global aviation industry. Mm. They don't like me. I've shown up at their meetings. They're like, oh my God, this guy's coming. The fact of the matter is they can do more mm. and they need to do more 
And that's where we as travelers can become change makers to put pressure on the industry to take that action. Mm -hmm. Not just to advise you to take steps to reduce your carbon footprint, but for them to invest more readily into reducing their carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. Sorry, one quick second. I'm just going to ask a follow-up because I'll be honest. Obviously, I've been to every country in the world. And one thing people love to attack me about on the internet is me getting on planes as if I stop traveling today, those planes will not fly. So can you talk to us really quickly and specifically about what those airlines can do and about our roles as consumers and airline passengers and like in that whole dynamic of reducing carbon output? Because I know they have offsets, which... Offsets are their own problem and that mm -hmm. we could have a whole day on. So I'll, I'll sidestep that other than to say offsets are not the answer. Agreed. That's my personal view, and that's a larger uh, conversation. Travel is critical not only to protecting areas. You heard NBOM talk about their managing a million acres uh, of wildlife habitat and ecosystems. Again, these are important places that are sequestering carbon. The importance of travel to protecting biodiversity and preventing extinctions is extremely important, and sometimes that gets lost in the climate dialogue. Mm -hmm. Final point here, okay, without going into the fuels and the opportunities, some of the airlines are pushing the agenda. I would just tell you, I'm sorry, I would just tell you that uh, we have tools today to make the difference. The question isn't, can it be done? The question is, will the corporations do it? And that is where we get into the concept of how, by and large, industry has privatized profits and socialized environmental damage. They don't pay the cost for their environmental damage. If they did, we wouldn't have at least the level of the problem we have today. Last point to keep in mind, sometimes people think this is a justification to fly. No pressure off the aviation industry, and we need to think carefully about this. But we also don't want to lose sight of the fact that global aviation right now accounts for approximately 8% of global CO, uh, CO2 emissions. Okay. There are three great tropical forests left in the world, the island of New Guinea, the Amazon basin, and the African, uh, Central African Congolese forest. Those three great tropical forests absorb 25% of CO2 from the atmosphere, 25%. More than every form of transportation combined in the context of uh, putting CO2 into the atmosphere. So what is my point? My point is this, if we truly want to stop and limit our carbon impact, we have got to stop cutting the world's tropical forests. full stop, 100%, that's it. And that means providing livelihoods and opportunities for communities that live in these areas to uplift themselves from poverty and reduce the pressure on the edge of those forests. And I'm sorry, I went way too long. Oh, no, that was great. That was great. You, you asked. Uh, I did. I did uh, ask. I that, we, could do a, uh, we could do a week on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Javier, so how can we balance travel and climate action? Well, I, I, I think, um, I mean, adding to, to Costas's points, I think... Uh, understanding our impact better. I think, I think we're all reaching a point where there is more awareness of, of the importance, like, like he said, on 
cases on not just uh, environmental protection, but also job creation and good quality jobs in different parts of the world. So I think uh, if we as a society can put more pressure, again, on the big corporations, on governments, uh, to, to take climate action, because I think we as individuals, we have to keep traveling. Mm -hmm. We have to keep traveling to the right places with the right partners, uh, uh, promoting and, and supporting the right projects. Uh, I think that is, a, that is a way that we can contribute to and have some climate action on, on our travel um, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of, it's a combination of education, and, and having better and stronger arguments to put pressure on, on corporations and leaders, on airlines. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Here. Amanda? Hi. Nice to see everyone. And thank you so much for Ambion for hosting this wonderful discussion. Um, to echo Costas and Javier's points, I, I really believe it's about mindset. As a traveler and also as a hospitality professional or a company or a business, it's how are you really instilling regenerative principles into your operations. And as a traveler, are you actually traveling as a, as a regenerative person? Uh, it's how are you seeing the world and looking to endeavor to have a, an experience? Um, what type of businesses are you looking to support on the ground? Which hotels are you supporting? How are you getting there? Are you taking a plane? Are you taking a car? Are you going on a train? Um, how are you looking at your chores? Are you asking more uh, questions about the businesses that you're looking to support? Um, you know, what are, what are they doing for their community? How are they sourcing their food? Uh, how do they build and uh, construct their hotel and look at the architecture? So they really think it's doing more research as a traveler, but also as a business to really instill the and create the travel experience that can really create more redundant travelers. Um, I think travel is such an amazing opportunity to create a mindset shift while you're on the ground. Um, as a hotel, you can really change someone's life by inspiring them to care a little bit more in everything that they do, just even simple things and, and simple moment in how they experience nature or how they interact with the community. So they can take that home with them and actually want to be a champion for conservation, for the places that they've been. Um, so I really think it starts with mindset because I think for generation is a mindset first and foremost. Amazing, thank you. Siwan? Um, <clears throat> yep. Thanks for having, having me on this. Um, Again, you know, I, I share all that Costas has said, Javier has said, Amanda has said, um, but also I think um, mindset, as Amanda had said, uh, but perspectives of travel, it doesn't always have to be international travel. Local travel, I think we, there has to be an emphasis on local travel as well, right? So there's a lot of sustainability, sustainable systems that can be looked at by, from encouraging local travel too. I think that the minute we talk about travel, we think, the West coming to the East or the North coming to the South and outsider coming to a local you know, uh, place. But encouraging a lot of local travel, as we have seen, seen during COVID, you know, there's not a whole lot that, that people could do, but, but you could still travel within your own country, within your own, own locality. I think that uh, changes a lot of mindset and encourages a lot of this, this own experiences uh, through travel, but it doesn't always have to be this foreign travel, but a lot of encouraging local travel um, but for us, I think uh, in a country like Bhutan, it's mainly about mindfulness, you know, being, being traveling as, as an experience that is not extractive, right? So, so you're not trying, you, you're being mindful and respectful of local cultures. Sustainability in, in authenticity, I think, you know, 
there's a lot of greenwashing going on. There's a lot of, I, I hear carbon offsets, and I know there's a lot of criticism and all of that. And I agree that this is a big, big topic that has so many different perspectives, uh, perspectives to it. Um, but at the same time, I think just delving down into the local community level and seeing what truly benefits them, what, you know, appreciating them from an authentic sort of a uh, perspective helps with that whole climate action as well, right? Each one being mindful of, of our actions so that it's not extractive. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I just want to say, uh, and I think referring to code, like 2020 when we were all locked inside of our countries is the perfect reference point because me and a friend who's actually here, we did a ton of road trips around the U.S. Like we're all living in the United States. And I think so many people think of travel, they think of a passport stamp. But to me, to travel just means to leave your home. And living in a place where we have over 65 national parks, over 250 um, national park, it's not national park, but it's like national park sites or whatever it is. The United States for me, I've been to every country in the world. The United States is one of the most diverse in terms of like natural resources and just like the natural environment and landscapes. And it's really a place to explore. So if you've been to 10 countries, then I hope you've also been to 10 states. But it really is about, to what he said, like local tourism. If you live in New York, go upstate. If you live, go to Jersey. <laughs> See what's going on over there. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in Jersey, but there's something going on in New Jersey. Um, and another little fun fact that I learned is that every single state in the United States produces wine. So, you know, go to Delaware and get a glass of wine. Um, so I love that. Local travel is so important. So when you think of travel, don't always think of the passport stamp. So I have a question for Javier. What role or responsibility do you feel that the media has to be a driver of positive change in the travel space? Um, well, I think it's, I think it's, Huge still, if it, despite social media and despite everybody thinking they are the best content producer. I think professionals, sorry, no, don't take that personal. No, 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 you know what I'm talking about. No, but, but, but I think uh, professionals are there for a reason. And, and, and I respect uh, travel journalists uh, very much. And I think, I think the work that goes behind it is, is very important. There's, there's knowledge, there's learning. Um, and, um, and I think they play, they play a very key role. Uh, they are part of the ecosystem. Um, I mean, the, the travel ecosystem, and they are a bridge between the industry and the consumer. So they are read and followed by both the industry and the consumer. So I think, I think it's a very, very strong. Um, I also think that there, there aren't that many uh, that are I have to be careful with what I'm going to say. This is, this is a safe space. <laughs> Tell us. Speak for you. No, that I think that are worth uh, following and that, are, that I respect. Uh, I think there are, but the, the ones that are uh, doing a good job are doing a very important job. Um, and I think it's, a, it's a, again, it's a very uh, a key element of, driving change and, and, and growing our awareness of the issues and understanding of, of the impact that we can have as travelers, but also as industry. So I do think the media plays this, this uh, role of an educator also. Uh, it's not just, not just uh, um, um, 
spreading information, but it's really uh, knowledge as well. Can you tell us someone who's doing it well, just so that we can all go follow them? Because I think well, that's really important. Like you know, of course, if, yeah, yeah. If we're not if we're not experts in the space, sometimes it's hard to know where to go for the best information. Yeah. So who would you recommend that we can go and follow today? I mean, Juliet Kinsman. I guess uh, she's uh, British. Uh, she um, works for several uh, publications in um, out of the UK, but not only. Uh, and she has, um, I mean, I'm talking about sustainable travel uh, specifically. And um, so Juliet has become uh, a, an expert and a very, uh, an authority really on, on, on sustainable travel. Um, she writes for Condé Nast, but also collaborates with uh, different uh, newspapers and media and, and even organizations like, like Weva. And, and she's very uh, well informed. Uh, she does her homework and she communicates very well. So she would be someone that I highly recommend. Say her name one more time. Juliet Kinsman. Juliet. And she's... Last name? Kinsman. Kinsman. Okay, we got yeah. that. Juliet Kinsman. Okay. Yeah, she, I mean, if you look, uh, she does uh, Condenas Traveler Sustainabilities, all the sustainability content for Condenas Traveler in the, out of the UK. Amazing. Thank you. Amanda. What should travelers look for in experience that in experiences that truly leave a positive impact? It's a good question. Can I actually tack onto his comment as well? Um, I'm not sure if anyone knows what redundant travel is or the company that I'm representing here today, but I actually started as a journalist. So the first six years, six to seven years of my career was actually as a journalist, and I was dedicated to telling stories of impact, and that's really what led me to my career here now today. So I really resonate with the fact that. We have to tell better stories and in a better way. I think it has to be more accessible and more inspirational rather than just pegging people with doom and gloom climate facts because that's not what's going to get people to change their minds. I think the answer to the climate crisis and inspiring people is actually moving people from the heart. So I really think it comes back to this mindset shift. So I just wanted to add on to that. And also another amazing journalist that focuses on climate changes in the room. Kathleen is right here and she's covering some incredible stories around sustainability. So first another last one. name, please. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that people can follow you. Kathleen Relihan. Kathleen Relihan. Go follow her. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> and back to your other question. I can you say it one more time, actually. Okay. What should travelers look for in experiences that truly leave a positive impact? Yes, well, we, well, we're representing regenerative travel again, and we believe in going beyond sustainability to regeneration. And that really means that we need sustainability to achieve a ge regeneration, because it's the act of actively renewing and restoring an ecosystem and a community. Um, so we ask travelers to really do their homework, looking for hotels that are embedded in community partnership, honoring sense of place, honoring local architecture, um, really going above and beyond and creating authentic, authentic experiences that really embody the essence of the destination. Um, we also really encourage people to look for more data. Um, we're really excited to be partnering with Weva, who you mentioned before, um, as a new data collection program and third-party SaaS tool that is really, I think, believing to be shaping the industry to be this new standard in how we're measuring and benchmarking data. Um, so we're really encouraging all of our properties to be um, documenting their impact and, re and, and reporting this transparently to the consumers. So I think the more that you can actually find that's data-driven is also really important because 
we have to have uh, we have to have the measurable in indicators to actually showcase what the impact is. Yeah. Can I give, can I give you an example that you were just asking? <clears throat> Take a a hotel like the Brando in Tahiti, mm -hmm. which invested in the technological ability to draw deep sea water out of the depths of the ocean that's cold and power an entire resort using coconut oil and deep sea water, it's called deep sea water cooling, to air condition an entire resort in the tropics, off grid, no carbon footprint. That technology which came out of innovation, okay, which gives a net positive return is so groundbreaking that it is now being looked at for the city of Honolulu to potentially air condition an entire city, okay, using this technology. Coconut oil generation, power source, solar energy, coconut oil 70%, solar energy 30%, deep sea water coming up, no uh, fluorocarbons coming out of air conditioning. This is the kind of innovation, and I'll just throw one word. Forget about words like sustainability, regenerative, fair trade tourism, ethical tourism, you know, conscious tourism. It's an alphabet soup. Think in terms of those examples and put pressure on the places you visit and research them, as Amanda said, and look for positive impact across three key areas, nature, culture, and community. That's why Beyond Green, which I co-founded and am no longer affiliated with, was created as an example similar to what Regenerative's doing with their hotels to create a place where travelers could easily select the examples so that when they travel, they have that positive impact. Mm -hmm. So don't get lost in names. Look for the impact. Research that and look for that positive return. What are you doing to reduce your carbon? Give me an example. Are plastic water bottles still on your property? Why? Mm -hmm. um, I love that. So I'm someone who tries to be, um, to reduce my use of single-use plastic at every chance I get. So I'm the girl, like I call hotels in advance and I'm like, hey, I'm coming, remove all plastic from my room. That's something that I do, that is something that you can do. Um, if you're in your hotel and the garbage cans are lined with plastic bags, use a single garbage can because what they're going to do is like if you put one little piece of something in the garbage can, they're going to take that plastic bag and throw it away. So you have to find ways in your own life that you can reduce plastic, but also charging the hotel with that. I have a question for you since you jumped in. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm a traveler, call me a lazy traveler. What's the easiest way for me to find properties that are behaving well and doing good by the planet without having to spend hours searching Google? You know what I mean? I want, I want a, a, a quick place for me to find great hotels around the world that are doing good for the planet. Well, I mean, there, there are collections of hotels that have met stringent criteria you have two of them in the room. You have a gentleman back there who represents Beyond Green, and you can go right there. Not only will you see the example of the hotel I gave you in Tahiti, but you will see also in Beyond's properties in there and others. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, um, 
Amanda and regenerative travel also works in the hospitality space and has vetted and looked at these hotels. And in their group, that's another source. But really, don't, some... don't, don't forget about virtual so. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bigger conversation. <laughs> But from what, I, what I would say, though, is most of us want to go somewhere. Like, we have something in our mind. We don't, like, just think, where would I want to go in the world and start randomly Googling. It's like, I want to go to Africa, or I want to go to a country, or the Caribbean island, or whatever. If you have that, and you start looking at what kind of places are there to stay, and you do your usual thing, you know, I have a budget, I have this, how am I going to, you know, whatever it's going to be, get to three key questions. Don't be afraid to ask them. Contact that place. It's your responsibility as a traveler. Our travel choice makes a huge difference. We have the power to change this industry. The fact of the matter is the travel industry already has the tools and the criteria to solve the problems we're talking about. The question is, will they do it? And it gets back to that profit and loss statement that we talked about. So the three key questions don't hesitate. Ask a hotel. What are you doing? And we can talk about urban separately in another point. What are you doing to help protect nature? What are you doing to protect and safeguard cultural heritage? How are you engaged with and benefiting local communities? If somebody on the phone is telling you, well, can I get back to you on that? Just drop them right there. Ten years ago, that would have been acceptable. Today, there are many companies that can answer those questions quickly and efficiently and give you the direction you need. If a company doesn't have a sustainability statement on their website, that doesn't mean they're sustainable, but that's step one. It's really just three key questions. Nature, culture, community. How are you having a positive impact where your destination is on these things? Just tell me. I love that. I hope you guys are writing this down and tweeting it. If you're not, there's a bookmark with a QR code. Give us 48 hours and all of this will be on that QR code. Because um, it was really important for me in, in having this conversation that I'm like, but what are we doing differently tomorrow? So I really hope that as you guys are listening, you're taking some notes and you're really thinking about what you're learning here and um, using these tools as you figure out your next travel destination, but also sharing it with your community, with your friends, with your family to help them to select their next destination as well. Um, so I want to go to St. Wong. Um, so I visited Bhutan in 2019. It is one of my goats. It is one of the 20 of 195 countries in the world that I think everyone should visit. Um, it's absolutely spectacular. It's never been invaded. It's a small kingdom in the Himalayan mountains and everyone should go. And Bhutan has done an amazing job in terms of how they manage their tourism. So I want to ask you, Sewan, um, just tell us a little bit about how Bhutan has managed tourism in the country to specifically benefit the citizens, the economy, and the environment. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for putting Bhutan on that list. Um, and I, I agree, of course, you know, as they are promoting their companies, I want to promote Bhutan. Right? <laughs> or their industries. Um, for Bhutan, I think tourism, as we know it with, from an outsider's perspective, started in the 70s. That was when our last, you know, the previous king was crowned. His coronation happened in 1974, and that was around that time when a lot of state guests were invited, a lot of foreigners were invited, and then, then kind of slowly it took, on, took off. 
Um, but right from the beginning, I think it was seen as an important industry, but yet something that's that needed to be managed well because we are a small country. You know, we we are the size of Switzerland, 38,000 square kilometers. We are about 700,000 people, so it can get easily swamped. You know, if we had a free for all sort of a tourism policy. So right right from there, I think we started off with this high value, low volume tourism, and that was kind of the intention behind making the visitor experience exclusive and unique and authentic. I think that is the key word for Bhutan is authentic. Because even, even now, after so many years, you travel to Bhutan, as Jessica has, has mentioned, uh, you get off the plane. Many airports are beginning to look alike. Many towns are beginning to look alike. You have Starbucks, McDonald's, all that. But Bhutan exudes a different air, I think. You know. so, so you will feel that authentic experience in the architecture, in the way of life, in, in many things. Um, but I think it was also recognized that tourism is an important industry for Bhutan, second to the export of hydropower. So it was a second in terms of revenue you know, generation for the country. But it was you know, managed in a, in a way that it was, there was, you know, the price wasn't very, it, it, it wasn't made very cheap. So there was a fee that was tagged on to the, your normal expenses, which was called the sustainable development fee. And that goes towards providing free healthcare and free education for its citizens. But that's only part of the story. And beyond that, also, um, you know, the, the whole tourism sector, like in many countries, it, it supports so many ancillary businesses, right? the handicraft shops, the restaurants, the, you know, the rental companies, and, and, and so forth, guides, and all of that in trying to give that authentic experience. Um, so, so that was one part of it. Um, but at the same time, on the other side, you know, what does Bhutan have? It's its culture and the environment. I think these are key sort of pillars of what we call gross national happiness as Bhutan's development philosophy. And you know, in, in order to achieve that, I think, it, again, the intention was to look at happiness as the epitome of human development. I mean, that is what everybody aspires to. But how can you create a scenario like that for your, your citizens and for anybody who visits the country? So the environment, I think, you know, without making it too long, I think we have done quite well in terms of managing you know, uh, over 70% of the country under forest cover. It is carbon negative right now with a pledge to remain carbon neutral, at least in perpetuity. Um, it has over 51% of the country set aside as protected areas in parks, national parks and wildlife reserves and so forth. So it, it is doing a lot, but of course, you know, there are challenges. You know, we're not saying that Bhutan has figured it out. We are a developing country. There are economic needs, you know, but there's a lot of intention, uh, goodwill and deliberate attempt at, at maintaining this balance between economic growth and spiritual, mental well-being, your time use, your time with family and all of that as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a big package. It's not something that's done in isolation. I mean, when you get off the plane in Bhutan, okay, what I will say is landing in Bhutan is very scary <laughs> because it's in the Himalayan mountains. And like, as someone who takes a lot of flights, that, that landing is, it's scary. That's the only way to put it. But when you get off the plane and you take in that air, you're like, what am I breathing everywhere else in the world? The air is so fresh in Bhutan. And it's because of all of the work that they're doing to maintain like carbon neutrality or negative carbon right now. Um, so I highly recommend that you go visit Bhutan when you get the chance. Um, Costas, hello. So as someone who's worked to transform 
the global travel industry and understanding corporations and business. Talk to us about finding balance between increasing profits and sustainability. Um, at a certain point in time, the sky is not the limit on profits. I know that's a hard thing to say, but we live on a finite planet, as we're talking about right now, with a finite amount of resources. But I do believe there's a very, very important uh, point to be made for companies to understand their responsibility to balance profit, for example, and travel. If we take a step back for a moment and we distill the travel industry into its essence, if we took a harsh look in business terms, okay, which is supply and demand and products and all these business terminologies, the global travel industry trades in nature and culture. That is its product. It trades as well in community, that nature culture community that I keep coming back to, this three-legged stool. What do people want when they travel? Okay. Uh, for example, oh, I want to live like a local, eat like a local, do something like a local, have an authentic experience like a local. That's all, all about community. In the context of nature, have you ever seen a travel brochure ever that, for example, said, oh, come to this beautiful Caribbean island with a picture just showing a beach covered in trash? No. Have you ever had met somebody who said, oh, I've just come back from uh, Brazil. I was in the Amazon. You know, I had this wonderful spa treatment. The jungle was smoldering. There were no birds. It was a clear-cut burning. I'm going back next year. It was great. It ain't going to happen. So in other words, tourism as a business needs to understand that it sells nature and culture. And if it understands it from a business perspective, profit, then it has to ensure its supply remains so that it can be a profitable business in the long term. So it's an understanding that uh, this morning I was at a session with IUCN and one of the comments were made was uh, from a very large uh, corporation, well known, all of you would know what it was, and they said, you know, we speak the language of profit, so you've got to tell us how sustainability or regenerative delivers on our profit return. That is a, for us to get engaged. Well, the fact that if you're in tourism and you're trading on nature, culture, and community, you're already making profit from that. And if that diminishes, you're going to make less. So that's, that's a business case as opposed to an ethical case. One last point I'd like to add to this that I think is really important uh, for all of us to know. Globally, 10% of the Earth's terrestrial surface, our land surface, contains over 70% of all life on our planet. Think about that for a moment. 10% of the Earth's land surface contains over 70% of all life. These are called biodiversity hotspots. They're the parts of our planet that have the most species. It is what has helped us as humans to thrive. We've benefited from this biodiversity, medicines, you name it, all sorts of things that have helped us. Tourism, that publication you mentioned I wrote, Tourism and Biodiversity, Mapping Tourism's Global Footprint. Tourism is growing most rapidly in those areas. 
this is not a rhetorical question or a panel that we're having, such as, how can we do it? Wouldn't it be nice if we did? Literally, the future of life on Earth may depend on how we get tourism right or wrong. It's a big issue. And from the profit and loss statement, we need to put the echo back into economy. The word in its ancient Greek originally comes out of trading in natural resources. Economy, echo. We need to put it back in and we need to understand that we are nature. We're not saving something over there down the street. We're saving ourselves. We've separated ourselves from nature. We see it as something we go to visit. We are nature. This is a kind of new mindset that we have to embrace. And tourism has the potential to be a game changer. That's why we're having this conversation. Well said, thank you. Um, Javier, as a member of a broad and impactful community like Virtuoso, what are the kinds of questions that you would like to see us travelers asking and what do you look for when you all are selecting suppliers? Well, the first, uh, I think, Costas answered before. I think those are the three questions to ask. I mean, what are you doing for nature, for culture, for the economy, for the local people? So uh, I, think, I think that uh, I don't need to extend myself on that. And those, those are the questions that you, you would like a consumer to ask. You would like a travel advisor to be asking uh, uh, suppliers. Uh, so, and, and I think the way to get there... Uh, I also agree with Costas in terms of, of language. Uh, we need to, not to use all this terminology. It's really about understanding and, and telling the stories and understanding the real impact uh, that, that a particular property or, or service is having in, in a particular place. So I, I think those questions, uh, again, going back to your question on media, I think we need to get better at asking those questions and we need to get better at understanding that all of those elements are important. Because uh, I think many times when people think about sustainability, it's usually the environmental aspect that people are thinking about and they forget about people and they forget about preserving cultures that help you preserve ecosystems. So it's, it's all linked, but it's not necessarily understood. Um, uh, so, so I think, yeah, I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of um, asking those questions ourselves so that people start asking them more often and, and asking better questions. Um, and, and to your question about uh, selecting, I mean, Virtuoso has been around for 35 years. So we, we didn't make uh, sustainability a requirement because 35 years ago that was not... Uh, you know, it was just, we, we weren't thinking about uh, those things, but, but we now are. So we are uh, uh, working on measuring and understanding more of what they're doing. I mean, this year we conducted um, a study on our, our partner sustainability practices. So we're moving in that direction. I wouldn't say we're there yet, but we're moving in that direction where, where all these elements will be a requirement uh, eventually, so that we we work with companies that we know are having a positive impact on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so, do you think in the future that you would sort of stop working with partners who aren't meeting specific criteria? I would love that. Okay. Um, 
Let's well, see you're if the I head of there. sustainability, <laughs> so. Okay. Amanda, how do we move world travel in a direction that's more positively impactful as individuals? Individuals or in industry? I think, talk about both, because I, I, I do want to, you know, work to help people in this room to make impact, but also understanding from the industry side Actually, as well. I'm curious, who here is a traveler? You raise your hand, just a traveler. Just a traveler. <laughs> Who represents a hotel? Trade, travel agents, media, marketing, PR. Very interesting. Like, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Well, I, you know, we, I really believe it's about community. Um, we have a, do a short plug. We are having a redundant travel summit tomorrow. And I'm so excited to see so many people from around the world coming together around this global movement because I really don't think that we can do it alone. It really takes everyone working together. It's the hotels, travel agents, tour operators, DMCs. We all have to be collaborating and sharing best practices, resources, and ideas with one another on how we can actually change and address the climate movement. So I really think it's about collaboration and community. Um, I also think it's about education. Um, we're actually working on developing our first self-guided e-course that we actually filmed uh, in the exception. Uh, their first filming was at actually Ambiond in Kenya and Tanzania last November. So we're just about the at the end of wrapping that up. But we really believe that this information should be accessible to everyone. Um, it should be uh, beautiful and design-oriented and, and storytelling-led because I think people really need to be fully immersed in a destination and that atmosphere to really understand, you know, what are the places that we're trying to protect. Um, so we're really aiming to develop this e-course as a, as a platform for people to learn and also share ideas. Um, so yeah, that's what I think we need to do. Thank you. Um, and then I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to open it up to the audience for Q&A. Um, I'm going to answer my question. So I'm going to say the question then I'm going to answer it. I'm the moderator. I get to do what I want. Okay. Jessica. Can you provide <laughs> Can you provide an example of seeing consumer driven change through asking difficult questions? Why yes I can. So um, summer 2021 I spent six weeks at the Four Seasons Punta Mita writing my book, which you all have, and I'm happy to sign after this. And um, I'm so fiercely against single-use plastic that at the resort, you know, you ask for water and they give it to you in plastic bottles. Like, no, because they have a filtered bottle option, but only at one of the outlets. And if you've ever been to the Four Seasons Punta Mita, it's a pretty big resort. So I lived there. Um, and so they knew every time I went to a different outlet, they had to go to the one outlet to bring my filtered water in a glass bottle because I did not. I was like, we're not doing plastic. And I don't know if they got so annoyed by me or they realized that it mattered. But after six weeks of every single day, multiple times of day, somebody had to get in a golf cart to go get my filtered bottle of water. If I wasn't at that outlet, they instituted a policy where they got rid of plastic water bottles at the hotel. Yes. So while it was very annoying, the GM told me six weeks later, after you've been here so long and you've made us, you know, I inconvenienced everyone and I didn't care. 
Um, and because of that inconvenience, it led to change for this property. It's, I think, number one or number two um, in terms of revenue for all of the Four Seasons portfolio. So that means a lot. Like it has a huge impact in terms of the number of people that are at that resort every single year. So you have to be that squeaky wheel to get that oil. So for the panel, this is our last question. Can you provide any example, if you have one, um, of seeing consumer-driven change through asking difficult questions? <laughs> this, this panel, is ha- this whole room is happening because of consumer-driven change. Um, and I think you illustrated a, a wonderful microcosm of what one individual can do who just says, this is really important to me. And, um, and there are other examples uh, like that. So I think the, the real message to take away uh, with you, the reason why we're having this discussion, the reason why travel is part of Climate Week now, the, the international year of sustainable tourism that happened in uh, 2015, if I remember, 28, uh, 2017, these are all things that responded to consumers increasingly getting frustrated and pressuring businesses. So um, that is the dial. At the end of the day, your travel choice has a, uh, makes a difference and exercise it in where you go. And when you're there, follow her example. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say that, I mean, I, adding to, to what Costas is saying, I think, I think we, we all have, uh, we're going, we're at a very interesting moment right now. And, and I think this conversation is just starting uh, as consumers. And uh, again, I said, uh, Virtuoso has been for 35 years. We were not thinking about our impact on the world because we thought it was infinite. And we now know it's not. And we're all suffering consequences of climate change. So I think the awareness level is very, um, well, it's stronger today than it was before. And, and we can ask better questions because we are suffering the consequences. We are, and we also have many good examples like and beyond. I mean, and beyond is a very good example of how when things are done well, with good intentions, the, the change is there and the impact is, is real. Uh, so, so I think following uh, all of the companies that we've mentioned today, following the right journalists, you can ask better questions because we now have examples of destinations and, and properties and, and companies doing the good things. So I think that, that could, could help. I didn't answer your question, but... Okay, I, we, think we can I, move I like that takeaway. Though. We'll, we'll take the takeaway. Um, Amanda, say what? Uh, I don't know. I haven't any, don't have a specific example, but I can think of just from thinking about our hotels and the properties we work with. I'm definitely noticing a shift towards offering at least more plant-based cuisine, more vegan options. I think even alternative, like uh, alternative fish or meat options that are plant-based or from cell-based food. Um, I think that's a nice way to also take a stance as a person to, to not eat red meat or eat less meat because uh, I don't know if you know, but one of the number one drawdown solutions is to have a more plant-rich diet. Um, so I think that's definitely some shift I'm seeing noticeably in hotels, being able to offer that more on their menus. I think there's also an interesting tension between, I think, selling travel, uh, for, first and foremost, it's being sustainable and that being the I think the the key leading decision-making factor for a consumer, I think if they are more educated and really can make decisions from really truly understanding 
what the hotel is doing and why, I think that will be more of a part of their decision-making factor. But I still think people are looking for a luxury vacation, first and, pro first and foremost, potentially. I think there's an interesting tension between how industry needs to navigate selling and promoting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like the introduction of plant-based diet. So eat more fruits and vegetables, everybody. So long. Again, I, I agree with my fellow panelists. I think we are coming, you know, um, at a time when the traveler is more informed. I mean, we have the internet, you have so much information that's available. So we have a lot of informed travelers. You know, one specific example that I can think of in terms of not necessarily just consumer, but more stakeholder-driven change is like, for instance, trekking, you know, trekking in Bhutan. Um, we, we have what is called the snowman trek. So there are different versions of it. Uh, one version is that like, you trek up in the mountains over 10, you know, 10,000 foot passes. Um, it extends for about 23, 24, 25 days. So this is like one of the toughest treks in the world. You know, they uh, unofficially they claim that. But even in places like that, like that, where you know it's cold, it's rugged. You know, it's it's it, the living conditions are not very easy. However, because the travelers demanded it, because the locals demanded it, I think there is no use of firewood, because you know for heating or cooking, it's really, you know, you have to take up all your, your cooking, you know, sort of fuel from wherever you start your trek. So it's not, you know, again, it, and, and it is within the policy, you know, that in fact affected a policy as well, so that trekking at higher, high elevations, you, we are not allowed to, to carry, you know, or use firewood, because even for the locals, it's difficult, you know, for, for definitely it's quite destructive, you know, and it's, um, so, I mean, I can think of that as just one specific change. I mean, like change that was brought about not just by travelers, but also by other stakeholders, including the people that are living at that elevation. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you. Um, does anyone have a question? Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Doris. Um, I'm just a traveler. So yay me. Um, From traveler to change maker. Yes. Change maker traveler. Hashtag. Amazing. Um, I missed the names because I was in the bathroom. We so have I'm Costas, back. Javier, Amanda, and Sewang. Okay. Costa. Am I saying it correctly? Okay. Um, so you had mentioned uh, the Serengeti, having the everyone going over there for specific reasons and making sure that the reasons why Serengeti has not changed is due to the fact that people are paying for that. You gave another example about um, a company using coconut oil. And um, so I just want to ask, if companies continue to use natural resources, how can they continue to support themselves using those resources? Or how should they continue to support themselves, you know, as they continue to use natural resources? So as companies, you know, like you mentioned, using the natural resources, advertising to travelers like myself, using those natural resources, how do they continue to sustain themselves? I know we did the whole profit thing, so I'm not gonna go into the profit thing, but how do they continue to sustain themselves as um, and advertise themselves as a business? Great question. It is, it is a good question. Um, it comes down to renewable resources. That's really what it's about. Um, coconut and coconut oil is a renewable resource. So the example I gave you is from Tahiti, and uh, Hawaii is also in the South Pacific, and Tahiti exports coconut oil. In this case, they created it. This is a domestic market. So it's allowing also 
this product to be used domestically. So it's a renewable resource. It's like apples that you can pick each year. And if you grow them well, you follow renewable and regenerative uh, uh, agricultural practices, then you're healing the earth by building the soil and you're getting a renewable resource. So that's one answer there. In the context of the Serengeti, it's particularly important because it is the last great land migration on earth. Two million animals migrating through this ecosystem. We know we once had bison here in North America. They're all gone. And there's example after example after example like that. So in the context of the Serengeti, um, the example is just what I was mentioning to you, that right now the only reason that the Serengeti is still there under pressure from other more extractive industries, such as the global beef industry, is because of tourism. And if we ensure that that tourism is going primarily to benefit and uplift local people's livelihoods, then we'll ensure the Serengeti's conservation for years to come, because the single most important lesson to come out of global conservation in the last 40 years is unless the people who live closest to what you want to protect become your partners and allies, you're not going to achieve it. And if they become your partners and allies when they have a seat at the table, when their voice is heard, when they're making decisions on how tourism will impact their lives. So there's no one fix. It's a complex global issue. But the really encouraging news is this discussion, like we're having here, has been going on for the better part of 30 years. And during that time, innovation has been happening. I am absolutely convinced we have the tools we have the models, they exist. The question is whether we can push industry leaders in tourism to act on it. People talk about concern for greenwashing. I, a big concern of mine is what I call like greed washing. This is an issue. And so that's where we as consumers become change makers by putting pressure on the business. Very good question. Um, anyone else have a question? Yes. Hi, uh, my name's Emily. I'm a travel blogger and journalist. Um, and I'm curious as you talk about, obviously everyone in the panel and a lot of people in this room are very steeped in the travel industry. I'm curious what you see has been kind of a major pushback in trying to turn the industry towards more sustainable practices. Like, is there something that you've had pushback with from, from the main stakeholders? Good question. I mean, we're definitely seeing more of a resistance from corporates. I think they're thinking about the bottom line first and foremost, rather than think sustainability or generations. We tend to work primarily right now with all independent boutique owners that have this in their DNA. This is the only way that they want to operate, and there is no other option. So I think, you know, for us, we were definitely looking to create like what we believe the standard should be, and then hopefully that the corporates will start at least taking small steps to, to go towards that direction. Um, and we also believe that regeneration is aspirational. I think we all can take one step every day as a consumer, as a traveler, as a, as a hotelier, uh, the travel agent, to just make one small change. Because I think the answer to the climate crisis is in small steps. I think we have so much expectation to change our entire lifestyle, but that's just not realistic. So hopefully the corporates can also follow that. Um, also, I think policy I think more governments need to follow in the, in the, in the, I think the footsteps of countries like Bhutan that have created incredible frameworks to really lead with conservation. Yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking that 
maybe, I mean, this whole conversation has been around luxury, the luxury segment, uh, but there's this other part of the industry, which is mass tourism. And, and, uh, and I think there are many challenges there where you have all this infrastructure that was built under very different uh, principles. And that is very difficult to change because uh, there's a lot of investment. Uh, there's a lot of, of money being made there. And I don't know how easy it is to move uh, to change that. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't see, if, I don't know if that's a pushback, but but I think it's a big challenge that we have as a as an industry. Well, also to add to that, I I think luxury doesn't always equate with sustainability. I think you know, um, I don't think we should we should equate just because it's luxurious, expensive doesn't necessarily mean that it's sustainable too, right? I think you have. You plunk a you know very luxurious resort in the middle of a desert. It has to be cold, like an ice box in the middle of summer. And you know there are things like that. And and also I think um, even in terms of of sustainability with the vis-a-vis the local communities, I think sometimes often you know you do have. Of course, you know I, I'm not saying any one of you you know or the industries that you represent or the businesses that you represent are that way, but. There are those that, that also come in, you know, under that name, they are certified this, certified that. But at the same time, you create a different tier of citizenship, even within your local community. Certain guides and drivers are not allowed in these properties, you know. So, so you bring in these unsustainable, unsustainable from that, how you treat, treat the communities as well. You know? So I think we should be mindful of that as well and not, not think that luxury, luxury always equates with you know, sustainability too. So. Oh, Nicole. <laughs> I just wanted to, to answer your question as a as a, a corporate and a brand because I think that's quite interesting. Um, and just to say, we have the we have the luxury of shareholders who share our values um, and are prepared to uh, sacrifice short term profits for longer term returns. And I think that's why this discussion is so incredibly important because when it becomes important to the consumer that things are done right, it become it becomes a profit thing. And then things will change. Um, and if the consumer doesn't, you know, evoke their right to say this is what they want and this is what they would like, how, how they would like things to be, um, there will be very little uh, pressure on that profit, on that bottom line. And so we, we have the luxury um, of not being a listed organization that reports quarterly returns. And I think there's a strong trade-off there. Um, so that's just from my perspective. Sorry. Thank you, uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Siamata Small. Uh, as a future soon-to-be, uh, hopefully everything is going well, uh, hotel owner and developer, do you think that there's too much saturation in the market? Uh, first part question. And going into this business, what is the first thing, outside of hiring a sustainability expert to help, you know, future hotel developers, uh, what is one thing that an owner should be considering right now? with your property? In Panama. Oh, well, we should talk to the former minister of tourism for Panama who's in the room. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> well, we love this. <laughs> I love this. There's also another Panama Hotel, Tranquilo Bay, Renee, who's right here. Oh, hello. <laughs> okay. So did you definitely talk to them? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, is, is in the city or in the Outside, land? Panama, okay. in Ch- Chami. Okay. Well, I'm not a hotelier myself, but I represent a community of properties and everything that I've learned about 
regenerative travel and regeneration is to first sit with the land. So really go in and understand what the community needs and what they want and don't impose anything on them, but really ask the question of how can we be helpful as a business? I think that is definitely you know, the first and foremost in terms of design and also community partnership. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. The good news is that you're coming into this now after years, decades of trial and error. So you get to cherry pick all the successes. Take a look at some of these, I'm sure you already have, you know, what, what is, um, you know, look at these hotels that are demonstrating sustainability leadership and what do, what do they have? How do they look? You know, embracing sense of place. When you're doing a new build, which is what I think you're talking about, that's like a dream come true for being able to prepare for a future of tourism where these concepts are not the exception. These aren't things that we give an award to, but by definition, the very word travel and hospitality will mean that it is sustainable in the same way that we think of a hotel today and we think of guest service. We, would we imagine a hotel without guest service? It's like just counterintuitive. And we're moving more and more in the direction I hope, I'd like us to move faster, uh, where that will become the norm for what hospitality means. In your case, look at these companies, see what they built. I have no idea at the size, you know, or any of these other things, your sourcing of materials, your input from the local community, your job training for locals who they're going to be your closest allies. They're going to be your friends. So uh, there's a lot you can learn from uh, others. And I don't know if you're on the coast, in the jungle, this or that, producing some of your own food. Do you have a position where you're able to do a community garden or a community-run operation? I'll give you an example out of Mexico. You're talking about Panama, um, the uh, Haciendas del Mundo Maya. They began by training local Mayan communities who had never been to school uh, some didn't even understand the basic fundamentals of business to operate and work in their spas. And that's a great idea. Hey, spa job. But the real innovation was five years later, they spun that off as a separate business owned and managed by the community, in this case, a group of women who then contracted with the hotel for that business. That's where real empowerment happens. We know that poverty breeds environmental destruction. So a big part of this solution is addressing poverty and ensuring that a hotel or hospitality uplifts local people's livelihoods. And that concept of sense of place and authenticity. I'll give you, when I, I'm an editor at National Geographic, I'm an editor at Lodge. You might find this entertaining. My little secret guest test when I used to review hotels under the lens of this conversation. I would walk into a lodge or a hotel into their main area, their lobby, and I'd close my eyes and I'd pretend just like in Star Trek that I beamed in there and I'd open my eyes and I'd do a 360. Could I tell from the furniture, from staff uniforms, music, smell, decor, art, what country I'm in? If I can't, could I tell what region I'm in. I know I'm somewhere in Latin America, but I'm not sure. If I can't tell that, could I at least figure out what continent I'm on? 
And if the answer is no, I'm in hotel anywhere, hotel nowhere, and I don't want to be there. So these are all important things. Yeah, I love that. that I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> Where am I? I'm in Chicago, Sheboygan. <laughs> okay, we have time for one more question. Um, oh, dang. Okay, three more questions. We're going to be quick. Okay, we're going to be quick. We're going to do these three women right here. Where are the men? Y'all don't have any, y'all know everything. You don't have any questions? <laughs> Hi, good evening. Uh, my name is Melanie. I work in the hotel business, and I have been in it for quite a while. Um, one of the primary concerns that I've had as, as a hotelier is waste diversion. And I just want to give a nod to the city of New York that there's such a miracle that happened today. And it was when the citizens of New York and the guests of New York and the consumers um, aligned with the rats of New York, because um, today I heard on the news that um, a proclamation was made that they must uh, put all waste in bins now. So by now having bins and not garbage on the street, we can commence a waste diversion, recycling, repurposing program. So I think we're going to see some big change in New York, and I hope that other people in their communities can follow that too. I think it's really great. Yay, New York. That's all. Because New York has a rat czar now, right? Well, the rats were on the streets. No, but there, there's a rat czar, I thought. Oh, like yeah, they hired I think the rats are got it going, probably. Yeah, okay. yeah. and a new merit setter, that kind of okay, stuff. But amazing. yeah, right Shout off for the rat czar. Okay. Hi. Hello. Um, I'm Shelby with Authentico Travel, and we're like a eco-luxury, which I know we were talking about how maybe luxury isn't sustainable. Totally true. Um, but we work with only luxury properties that are sustainable or green-minded, um, and we're a travel concierge, soon to be hotelier too, hopefully in the next six months. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask the panel, this is a little spicy. Um, we love spicy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when I started the company four and a half-ish years ago, I advertised green sustainability. I wanted to educate everyone sustainability. I wanted everyone to know that we were going to be a green luxury travel company, and that was going to be our bottom line was for people in planet and community, not profit. Um, and we got no one. So that was very discouraging. But then I quickly learned and adapted that if you market to the consumer and luxury and all that they want, um, you get a lot more. So ethically speaking, we're kind of like a gateway drug to sustainable travel. People don't know that they're taking us, but they are. Um, and that being said, I would love to know your guys' opinion ethically on like, if we just make a better product and also it's the greenest, most sustainable product, does it matter if the consumer is, and we do educate people, but does it matter if the consumer is educated or not? And which direction do you think will make more change? Leading with what people want, but secretly behind the scenes doing everything the right way? Or, or leading with the education piece and trying to change their mind. By, you, you hit on a real gem there. Spicy. Your spicy gem, okay? Um, their hospitality approaches this in different ways. There are some companies like uh, that put it all out front, you know, we're educate, et cetera. You don't want to, most people don't want to go on a vacation uh, 
and have a pedantic experience of feeling like they're being lectured, okay? They want to go, they want to have a good time. I'll give you an example um, of a couple I met for, and I'm just talking about, um, this was at a place in the United States, actually in New Mexico, called uh, Vermejo, Ted Turner Reserves. It's a private and beautiful place. And by the way, sustainability and luxury. This question comes up all the time, this issue of like, because I get it all the time. It's like, you know, is sustainability just for the rich? Is it just like about luxury? And the irony was 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was trying to pitch these concepts to businesses, they were like, well, we don't want those travelers. They all just want to sleep in a hammock for $5. They wear Indian print skirts and walk around in Birkenstocks. We want the people with the money. So the point, the truth is the sustainability and the whole notion behind this crosses the entire threshold. I did a story for National Geographic. It was a cover story called 25 Wild Nights, and it covered everything from ridiculously expensive places to stay that were doing great sustainability to a small lodge run by a group of women in South Africa for $75 a night where they made your breakfast smoothie on a bicycle blender that they peddled. <laughs> Okay, and people loved it. So the point, I guess I would say, is most of the properties I know offer an opportunity to learn and give that opportunity to the guest, should the guest take it. They'll put little things here and there to spark the guest's curiosity. And then should a guest say, hey, you know, what's this weird thing, this green tour? Like you do all these things, you know, what is that? then the concierge will go into it and tell them a little bit more. A hard sell isn't necessarily the right way. We need to educate travelers through the media, and we need to help educate them at our properties to understand what made their stay wonderful. The couple I was going to tell you about were sitting on a veranda. They had a great bottle of Zinfandel. They had spent 10 days at this particular resort I mentioned to you, Vermejo Resort. And they said at the end of that, you mean to tell me that like this vacation we had like actually helped save nature? Like, oh my God, like we would have come back anyway. Like we're definitely coming back. It was almost like a bonus on top of it for them. If that's what it takes, that's okay. So it's not a hard sell. That's my experience. But you want to give them opportunities for curiosity. One Hotels Miami has a whale made of plastic in their lobby, okay? They don't beat people over the head with sustainability, but you look at that, and there's a small plaque, and it talks about plastic marine conservation. It's not a lecture, but guests crowd around it and look at it all the time, and it gets them thinking. And I will say on the back of that, One Hotel is a chain, but they really do have sustainability front and center and love that brand. So if you've We're not stayed at one hotel. right now. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So then, you know, like. Not a surprise, given, yeah. you, <laughs> given so. what you said about your bureau. Okay. And then we have one last question there. And then we're going to wrap up. Hi, I'm Marie, a student traveler and my mom's plus one. You already touched on this a little bit, but my question was, how do you make sustainable travel more accessible because sustainability often in all areas comes with a higher price tag. I don't believe it always comes with a higher price tag. However, it often does. And maybe that's because 
we have created a real profit and loss statement. If we come back to part of the thing is when I made the comment about basically an industry that has privatized profits and socialized environmental damage, they need to add their, for example, it's a lot cheaper to just run a pipe out of the back of your hotel and just run your effluent untreated into a stream. You'll make a lot more money that way, okay? Short-term profit. It costs more than that, about $25,000 to put a proper filtration system in. Right now, the traditional model was a hotel ran their effluent off of a beach, maybe a mile out, and you didn't even know that while you were swimming there, and they didn't pay for that. They didn't pay for that pollution. So that's bringing a cheaper price. So in essence, we have subsidized environmental damage, and the cost more is really the cost of doing business with the planet in mind. It's, it should not be a greater profit for the business in the sense, not gouging you, that addition you pay should be going directly into the positive impact we were talking about. I have a, a, a suggestion for you. Just don't think of the obvious places where all, there are many destinations in the world that are not on Instagram, that are not on the list of all the hotels that we've been talking about tonight. There are many destinations, secondary, third, like uh, that have much more affordable hotels and experiences. So just think beyond the obvious. Uh, do do more more research, more homework. Go beyond those those big cities, those big resorts, and you will find you will find because this is this is not exclusive to the luxury world. I mean, the 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 whole sustainability conversation is is everywhere around the world. So you will go to uh, a small village anywhere in the world and you will find, I mean, most of the most traditional uh, hotels are sustainable by definition because they didn't have uh, other way to do things. So I think it's just thinking out beyond the obvious. I have to agree with the research, but we also represent a number of properties in different countries like Egypt, it starts as low as $50 a night. There's no electricity. It's a, it's a hut. Um, we also have a, a rock house hotel actually is also in the room in Jamaica. They have rooms starting as low as I believe $100 a night in the low season. We have Mexico, Panama, Colombia. They all start around $200 a night. So it really isn't exclusive to you know the $1,000 a night price points that we're, you know, we're speaking of in terms of luxury. Actually, Shelby, I want to talk about your Point before, I think it's a great question. Um, I have a great example from one of the properties we work with in Malaysia called the Datai Langkawi, and they have a Datai pledge where they pledge, I believe it's 2% of their um, guest, uh, a guest bill stay towards four different NGOs. And I've, I've been there, we were filming actually for a course, and throughout the whole guest experience, they have little touch points throughout the stay, such as on the bill, um, you know, that they tell you that at the end of your stay, they'll um, you'll have an option to opt out. So, and they told us that only 10% of guests actually choose to opt out of donating or contributing 2% of their bill towards the conservation NGO partnership. So I think it really is about designing those guest experience to have little moments where they can really learn about what their money is going back to supporting. Okay, this is really the last question. <laughs> 
sorry. Really the last one, I promise. <laughs> I was, um, my name is Katie. And from a tour operator perspective in Ecuador, I think it's our responsibility as well. There's so many hotels. There's so many properties. And as a tour operator, it's really our responsibility to direct our guests in the right way. And if we're a tour operator in a country, we're there because we love the country, we love the people, we're passionate about where we are and what we're doing. So for example, um, myself as uh, the sales manager for our team in Ecuador, it's super important that we visit every single place and we see every place, we know what they're doing and how they're showing people that the pushbacks, for example, if clients are asking for these chain hotels to get their hotel points, we tell them, well, you would actually have a better experience if you go to this boutique family-owned hotel and learn about the country and learn about the culture that you're going to be experiencing while you're here. And then another point here about like telling people how they can be sustainable is not so much showing it in their face, but showing them when you have a local guide and making sure that the people we work with in our destination are real um, 100% Ecuadorian or whichever country that you're offering, it's, it's a true experience that they can get. And so I think, again, the responsibility comes down to us when we're offering um, these experiences that are authentic and genuine. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you everyone for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our special panel discussion. We hope that you gained some valuable insights into how to catalyze positive change through your travel adventures. If you'd like to explore more topics in sustainability, conservation, or travel, you can follow this podcast and follow Ambion Travel on Facebook or Instagram, where you can also look out for more details on our next live event.